Welcome to the Uncharted Podcast. I am your host, Inez Franklin. My hope for you today is that we discover faith beyond the boundaries. Uncharted is intended to be a safe place for you to listen, learn, and challenge yourself along your journey of faith. May grace and peace be with you today. Welcome to the show. friends, thank you so much for joining us again on the Uncharted Podcast with Ines Franklin. I am really looking forward to this interview today. We interviewed Amanda Anderson last year, actually before the election. And for a variety of reasons, this is when this podcast is coming out. And yet, what I think it proves, which is really wonderful, is how timeless the conversation is. So whether we're in in an election year, whether we're dealing with uh, electional division um, or, or political division, these kinds of experiences happen in our journey of faith and uh, in their universal. So I look forward for you to listen to her journey. Amanda was uh, merely nervous about this conversation, rightfully so, because there's sometimes such a charge experience um, when we're talking about this. So I just want to encourage you to listen. Even if some of this uh, affects you, listen, keep listening. I think you'll really get a sense for her heart as you continue on the conversation. Here's my interview with Amanda Anderson. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I am so glad and so excited to chat with you today. Uh, My heart is to um, give you space to share your journey. I want to hear um, about your spiritual journey, what's challenging you right now. You've shared some of that with me already, and I know know that people who are going to listen to this are going to be really touched um, by what you're sharing. And also, I think many people will resonate uh, I believe that so many, our journey of faith includes a lot of highs and a lot of sometimes lows and often crises, but we don't talk about it. We don't talk about that. We talk about our highs all the time. And sometimes when we're mm-hmm. dealing with a crisis, we keep it to ourselves and we're afraid to share, um, to be misunderstood perhaps, uh, or cast it in a certain way. And it takes courage to share, like, here's where I'm at and it's okay. And I think Thank you're you. going to find lots of people are in the same place as you are. Thank you. I think it's remarkable that you are engaging on these kind of topics. And I have made like a speaking career on being incredibly vulnerable. But this is the most terrifying thing I have ever talked about. We are in a time that is so, I have never been so afraid to be judged, actually as I am at this moment, um, or be misunderstood. So I am so grateful because I think what I'm feeling is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit to be understanding something that many people that I've talked to are also feeling this. And I have been in deep prayer asking God, please give me your words so that 
we can promote more understanding in the body amen of christ amen i love that i love that okay so obviously some some people who are listening don't know you let's start a little bit um, by sharing about you your journey obviously you've written a book you have a website um, so i want to hear about those things but can you give us a, a quick overview of your journey of faith like when you became a believer a little bit of that that would be awesome Absolutely. So I was born into a Christian home. My dad was a devout Baptist, is is still around with us. Um, my parents met in, in high school at a youth group event. My dad stole my mom from his friend who brought her to youth group, and they've been together ever since. Um, so my dad went to Fuller, Azusa Pacific, and then has a degree from Fuller Seminary. But he didn't wasn't a practicing minister after I was three years old. He moved back into secular business, but he always taught Sunday school, um, and we were raised raised in church, raised in Sunday school by two Christian parents. I wanted to be a missionary growing up. That was my heart's desire. I always wanted to be a writer, but I also wanted to be a missionary, and spent a lot of my high school years traveling to Mexico to border towns with my church. I was in part of a very missional church in Southern California. So we would go, you know, paint houses and churches in Tijuana and go to Mexicali. And I studied Spanish. I worked as a translator my senior year of high school for our annual mission trip. Um, being in touch with the poor, this is gonna make me emotional. <laughs> Okay. Um, and having compassion and dignity for the poor was a huge part of my upbringing as a Christian. Um, growing up in Southern California, being very aware of um, issues of immigration and having seen for myself what it was like living in these border towns in Mexico, I think has really affected my politics and my faith. Um, my I ended up not becoming missionary. God closed that door. I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo as a journalism major, actually, and then dropped out after a year and became an English major because I felt like my journalism program was more focused on how not to get sued than how to pursue the truth. Oh, man. And as an <laughs> that was just my perception as an 18-year-old uh, idealist. Um, my first editor was one of my best friends who I'm still close to. She ended up being a journalist at the Orange County Register and then eventually a missionary and lived in Ukraine for 10 years. So she and I switched places. I eventually became a journalist. I worked for Coast Magazine here in Southern California for seven years. And then God called me out of work um, to raise my daughters. And I got super involved with Mops International at Mariner's Church, began to speak to young moms groups and um, found that the very wealthy young mothers of Newport Beach and Irvine were as desperate for Jesus yeah, as true. those um, poverty-stricken mothers on the borders of Mexico and California. And kind of reconciled myself to the fact that God had called me to a mission field, but it wasn't what I thought it would be. It was to the poor in spirit, not just the poor in finance. Um, 
And then I started speaking more widely all through California. I wrote a book in, um, it came out 18 months ago about friendship. It's called All My Friends Have Issues. I love that. I love the title of that book. (laughs) (laughs) Which just came out of, uh, I just was in a seminar and they were talking about how to have safe, sane friends. And I thought, oh no, all my friends have issues. Boom. And that was, boom. That was literally where it came from. And so, um, I'm also involved in the 12-step recovery program at Mariner's Church. I joined it as a someone who needed recovery five years ago from relationship issues. Uh, ironically, friendship issues brought me to recovery, and I wrote my book halfway through my recovery journey. And so, again, I continued to be a missionary. Like, my heart has always been, and it's no credit to me, it's the grace of God toward the least of these. So... That's so beautiful. So in Mariners, you know, that is the addicts, you know, it is people who are struggling with um, physical, I'm so emotional with um, physical addiction, relational addiction, sexual addiction, and uh, your listeners can't see me. I don't look like someone you would think of as an alcoholic. Um, I've been married 20 one year, it's this wonderful man. I have two great kids, and everything honestly looks really great on the outside. But um, I'm a sober alcoholic, mm-hmm. and I love to speak with. You know, I sponsor women in Codependence Anonymous program, and my life is uh, just Jesus has healed me through the reconstruction process of recovery. Yes. Of of restoring what was broken, of deconstructing what I believed, and putting it back together. Uh, so I'm very grateful for that, that journey. Your website is called Heart in Training. So the concept is that my heart is not done. Yes. I am, um, I'm a new creation, not a complete creation. I love that. Okay, so that <laughs> whole background, it, to me, is such a, a perfect setup for what we're going to talk about. And I say mm-hmm. that because often if, you, if people just heard that about you, Um, I'm guessing that they would assume you don't have a challenge in your journey of faith. You would not Mm -hmm. experience a crisis of faith, that you've got it all together. You are so like tight with Jesus, Uh, right? Like women of God, solid. So if you were to share about your struggle, people would be like Mm -hmm. maybe shocked or confused Right. And so when you share it, how you are anxious about that sense of judgment, how people will judge or misunderstand. I get it because sometimes we tend to prop up people, don't we? To, to, you know, maybe because that's what we want for ourselves. And so if we see it in someone else, we think it's possible for us. But that's so unfortunately an impossible thing to live with because all of us deal with struggles on our journey of faith. And oftentimes our struggles are the faith itself, either right. our faith community, the faith itself, or something about our relationship with God that is, that is hurting or broken, that needs to be restored, rebuilt. And we hit these walls, and there's no place to go to talk mm-hmm. about them. So that being said, let's talk about the wall that you are standing <laughs> before. The wall I'm standing before. The interesting thing is, I don't know if I would call it as a crisis of faith, but it, I mean, that really is what it is. It's a crisis of, of 
faith in um, in church, in community. Um, one of the things that's happened through having written a book and you're trying to expand your social media platform, platform is such a big deal. I hate it. <laughs> trying to monetize. Tell me about you know, that. <laughs> getting people to follow you so you can write more and you finally just have to go, Jesus, just let five people read it. That's, that's fine. Right. But in, in doing that, I opened my Facebook account to friends that I did not know. So I started, you know, somehow I got on an algorithm of, I don't know how Facebook decides who would be interested in me, but started recommending me as a friend and I just started accepting it. And I turned my personal Facebook page into a public place where I would post about what I was writing, authentic relationships about Jesus, about, you know, what I speak on all those sorts of things. And in it, I found myself confronted with a, a type of Christianity that just broke my heart. Mm. Um, in the era of polarization, political polarization, I found um, a community in which the only way that you could be a Christian was to not just vote for, but adore Donald Trump. And um, that that was the only option for a Christian was to be a Republican and not just a Republican, but a devoted follower of the president. Mm. And of course, there are many people who have voted for Donald Trump without holding him up as an ideal Christian, but there was a huge body. I mean, I ended up with about 2000 followers and just my feed was just full of this. Wow. And then when the Black Lives Matter movement started, and for, I just want to say, when I speak that Black Lives Matter, I am not aligning myself maybe with the initial movement that many people think, well, that's Marxist or that's about, you know, sin is only a, a product of society. Obviously, as a Christian, I believe in the orthodox idea that we are all sinful and no perfect society will get rid of everything. But I do believe that that Black and brown people in this country are in more danger of experiencing injustice so as i began to speak about that the people that pushed back against it were the christians and i was shocked Mm. i mean just just shocked that standing up for injustice or against violence against certain people would be met with such um i'm going to say hatred Mm. fury and um, judgment, and um, it was it was quite shocking to me. And um, there were people that were Christians who were posting like things, but I just kept seeing people say, "Jesus proved that all lives matter." Jesus proved that all lives matter with these pictures of Christ on the cross. And I would get into dialogue, like, "This doesn't mean this is what this phrase means." Mm. You're trying to reason. Right, trying to read. This isn't saying that you don't matter. We're talking about there are people in one, in culture, there is often a group of people that are considered, that are more marginalized, that have a higher risk of being marginalized, of being victimized, of being oppressed. And we see this all the way back to the Old Testament. This is a biblical concept. It's not a political concept. 
that that God is aware of it and actually calls us to release that yoke. This is the worship I desire that you would break every chain. Right. So um, we are not talking about elevating one population over another. We're saying that there is a, a risk factor. I'm also not saying that all police are evil people or that I don't support authority or you know, police authority. And so it just, that was the beginning of this just kind of um, shock to my system. Yes. Now tell, tell me, okay, let's talk about that. Um, yeah. A couple of things. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie, The, the Social Dilemma and how yes. the algorithm pretty soon gathers a certain kind of ideology into our feeds, mm-hmm. right? So right. it sounds like you had a little bit of that going on. So you, right. <laughs> People saw, yeah. but so they saw Jesus in my feed and sent me racism. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. And I was like, Oh God. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and maybe not racism, but a type of, I made some notes. I've been praying over this for days. A conservatism where there is a difference between moral and orthodox conservatism and political conservatism. They aren't the same thing. Mm. But right now in culture, they're linked together. Yeah. Or, or for many people, they are. What I have been working and wrestling with in my prayers, in my reading of the news and my discussions with friends is how do we pull those two things apart and, and, and look at the truth of what Jesus would have us do in this moment. Yeah. Think from it. So before we answer that, um, the question I had for you is, mm-hmm. as people were attacking you, and you said this was like a shock to your system, mm-hmm. that means there were some, I'll call it preconceived or expectations in your heart about how Christians should behave towards one another mm-hmm. or towards these issues. So tell me what got deconstructed for you through that experience. What was the mm-hmm. thing that, that, that you were holding that seemed to have been shattered by that experience? Well, having been raised with this deep empathy for the poor um, or, and a deep belief, like being trained, if you're, if you're being trained as a missionary, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even as a high school student, or as I've trained at Mariners, like talk to friends who've gone to Haiti, you learn a, a great dignity for culture and for diversity that you cannot be effective minister of Christ without a great sense of the dignity of the culture that you are going to enter and minister in. And the indignity of the individuals? Yes, the dignity of the individual and then the dignity of the, the, that cultural belief system that we, we begin, we would understand that there are, there are both cultural belief systems and religious belief systems. And we, we walk, when you walk into someone's house, you're respectful of, the, of what that is. Mm. You know, like metaphorically, like you take off your shoes, yeah. if that's what they do. You take off your shoes and that is part of gentleness, which is a fruit of the spirit kindness, gentleness, self-control, fruits of the spirit. So I walk into your experience. Um, if you are different than I am, then I want to walk into your, your experience and understand where you're coming from, that I have a posture of having my hands open to hear your story. And that to me is essentially 
a, a huge essential part of who Christ was, that he enters our experience. You know, he went out of his way to this Samaritan woman to hear her experience, um, to tell her what he already knew about it in a compassionate way, made, way that made her feel safe. So this knee-jerk reaction from the Christians in my feed that don't tell me about systematic racism, don't tell me something bad about America, don't say, you know, don't challenge what I believe, didn't feel like Jesus to me. That was the shock. Um, there was even a member at Mar someone I follow at Mariner's Church, and he, he published something so beautiful. He said, instead of trying to disprove the theory on the other side, will you open your ears to listen to the experiences of the individuals in your life who've experienced racism to themselves Beautiful. rather than trying to disprove it? Will you listen? And even on his feed, members of our church were just sending conspiracy theories and articles, trying to doing exactly what he asked them not to do. And to argue with the very premise he was saying, which will you talk to your, do you have any black friends to speak to? Do you have a Latino friend to talk to? Do you have an Asian American friend who has a reaction when he hears that COVID called the Chinese virus or the Kung flu? Mm. You know, like what does that feel like as a Chinese American to hear it spoken that way? And so that was the, the cognitive dissonance or the spiritual dissonance I started to have and like, did I get the wrong map? Did I get a different memo? Mm. Did, did your faith feel um, like it wasn't quite what you thought it was? Did you feel like, wait, the community that I, I live out my faith with is not what mm -hmm. I think it is? And is that it? Did that? Yeah. I and also a confusion of how does the Holy Spirit work? How does he speak to us? How does he reveal truth to us? Because... We're all, we're seeking it. How are we getting such a dissonant message? Right. And I'm thinking that the people who are sharing with you, mm -hmm. let's say they, they're Christ followers as well. We're probably thinking that of you. Like, how can the Holy Spirit be speaking to her that way? That she, she's not hearing, Absolutely. she's not hearing the same Holy Spirit I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so that is probably the biggest crisis. Like there's the crisis of feeling like I'm in exile in my church community. Oh, good. Oh, you just named it. You just named it. Say that again. <laughs> yeah. I feel like an exile in the church community. That's painful. Yeah. That's painful. Where I am afraid to say that I voted for a Democratic president or and and actually when I, I so I began to write a series of essays on Facebook. First of all, I said, I have to leave this format. This has become a place that is too painful it's for me safe. to participate right. in. It's not, it's not safe. I had someone say something like, and I found myself following, um, you know, losing my own integrity. I would, I started to do some things like these, like drive, what I would call like drive-by shootings on Facebook. <laughs> where I would see like these toxic, what to me were toxic dialogues. And I'm going to stand by that. Um, and I would write in and I would write a comment and then I would immediately unfriend. So they couldn't Can see you me. drop, <laughs> couldn't find drop me. a bomb in the room and run out <laughs> and run away. And I thought I'm familiar with addiction. Mm. And Tim Keller says the most brilliant thing about addiction 
he says, um, you know, you're an addict when you go, when the thing that causes you distress, you go to that thing to relieve your distress. Oh, that's good. I'm paraphrasing. Oh. And so I am distressed by social media. I'm distressed by the news. I'm distressed by this polarized election. I'm distressed by the polarization of COVID and safety and all of it. And yet I'm going to relieve it by engaging in it in a distressing way. Mm. So therefore I, continuing I, the cycle. Yeah. So I have to get out, but in the process, I, I really, I like barely slept for a couple of days and I wrestled with God through the watches of the night. And he said, it is okay for you to speak. And so I wrote a series of essays as an exit <laughs> saying, I'm not leaving. You can still find me on my public author's page. I'm leaving this format because my feet has become an unsafe place, yeah. but I want to share some of my deepest thoughts on this before I go. Yeah. And in doing that, there was great encouragement. There were many people who shared the posts, who uh, commented with incredible amount of love, and we have wrestled with these things too. But there were also people that called me a demon crat, hmm. which is a term I hadn't heard before. No, I haven't um, either. That's a new one. Wow. Yeah. The Democrats are demon crats. Mm. I've seen it other places since then that there is no way that I understand Christ mm. and know him and vote the way that I do. Um, that every aborted baby's blood is now on my hands. Um, and, and then when I wrote something about trying understanding the concept of privilege and what it means, because I saw so many Christians posting things like everything's, you know, no matter what happens in the election, I'm going to get up in the morning and take my kids to school and God is on the throne and it doesn't really matter. And I just saw that over and over again. And I finally wrote something basically to the extent of, you know, you know, Jesus, I wrote a post that Jesus was on the throne during the, the Holocaust and Jesus was on the throne when the Jim Crow laws were enacted in this country. And while slavery participated jesus on the throne does not mean that people are not suffering right that's true and so i said so if you can wake up tomorrow and the election will not affect your life you are privileged and that is a great place of grace for you but be careful when you say that in a public forum because there are people on the fringes that it matters very much to yeah. on both sides if you are a coal miner this election mattered a lot right, right. If your livelihood is dependent on something that environmental laws are going to change, it's going to affect you. If you are going to lose your health insurance or your welfare benefits, it is going to affect you very deeply. And Jesus would not say, I'm on the throne, so everything is fine. Jesus enters the pain. He weeps. Pain. He weeps. He weeps. Yes. He enters into pain. And my personal story is that I have gone back with Jesus through some really painful points in my life and gone to him and talked to him about it. And he has just sat next to me and said, I know yeah. I was there. I know yeah. he has never said, suck it up. Right. And in that post, I had more pushback than anything I've ever written, including someone who told me I was blaspheming against God, mm. that his story, he was writing the story he was in charge of everything that was happening and that it was um, the only privilege that exists in this world is the privilege of following Jesus. Wow. And I'm like, gosh, you missed the point of that completely. <laughs> did you, well, Amanda, do you, did you find that there are many people who 
appear to enter a conversation, but, the, but you quickly find out they're not really looking to have a conversation. They're not listening. You know, they look like they're listening, but they're, they're just formulating the response. And right. so, you know, you, you say what you, you say, and then they respond, and you're like, well, did you hear anything I just said? And right. that's happening on both sides, right? I mean, do, do, you think, do you think it's possible that there are people on the other side, people who, who say voted for Trump, who may be experiencing your experience from the other side as well. Absolutely. Is, is this, Absolutely. Do you know anybody who's gone through something like that from the opposite spectrum? I, I do, actually. I, you know, when there was a lot of, after one of the debates, and there was all that talk about the fact that Trump wouldn't denounce white supremacy, in that, you know, like I they said, that. will you denounce white supremacists? And he goes, well, who are you talking about? Who, you know, like, I'm, who do you want, who do you want me to denounce? Just tell me who you want me to denounce. And I follow a lot of African-American Christians and um, I try to really get a lot of diverse point of view. And so there are very, you know, I'm a white woman living in Orange County. Like I am not an at-risk population. I want to be really clear about that. Like I am steeped in privilege. Mm. I have a college education. I'm married to a white guy. I'm a white girl that raised in Southern California. I am not at risk in any way. I mean, the only way I could be considered a minority is a woman. And I'm a woman at Mariner's Church where I am deeply valued as a woman. I've never felt oppressed as a woman great dignity as a child of God here at Mariners. So, but I, I try to listen to other voices. And so there were women, there were people who um, were calling for like, it isn't okay that the president didn't knee jerk say, of course I denounced white supremacy. And so I reposted something and I ended up getting up, getting in a dialogue, a very, an actual dialogue with a wonderful Christian woman that I've known for many years um, who said that she feels like she's being so judged if she voted for Trump, that she has to justify all of his behavior, that she's being called to say, called out on everything he says. And she's like, I didn't say everything he says. I'm not the enemy. I'm like, indeed, you are not. Yeah. You aren't, you're right. You're not the enemy. Yeah. Um, and I was... I, I said, I am feeling so in exile as a Christian because of what I'm reading on my feed, you know, what's coming at me in other places. Um, and she said, I, as a Christian, having grown up in California, feel exiled because I'm living in such a liberal state. And everyone wants me to answer for the sins of the president. Isn't that something? I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, like you say, there's people who are being injured to the point of leaving the church, questioning their faith, um, questioning mm -hmm. their faith community. Like, what, what do I call myself right now? Do I, do I still call myself a Christian? Is that, right. that going to be a source of pain for me? And it's happening mm -hmm. on both sides of this issue of the Absolutely. divide. Yeah. And my best friend in the world, I mean, one of my best friends in the world I have probably, I would call like my three bridesmaids. I have three very close friends, equal and, you know, <laughs> um, 
intimacy in my life. Um, one's very on the fence. One is raised by, you know, Berkeley La Leche Christian Democrats, like, you know, hardcore on the left. And um, one of my friends, you know, voted for Donald Trump in the first election. I don't know what, what she did in the second. I haven't asked her. Um, and she struggles because she says everyone's, you know, saying if you voted for Trump, you're a terrible person. And she's like, well, I voted for Trump. I'm not a terrible person. She's like, I might not do it again. But, you know, the thing is, is that none of us, here's what, here's what I believe as a Christian. None of us are going to find every value of Jesus on either side of the political, on either side. And many of our decisions are not about our, um, our morality, but what we believe is the function of government. You know, if you believe that the government should um, have less power, less influence, and kind of stay out of your life and let people do their thing, that's like fiscal conservatism. That's not moral conservatism. Right. That's just function of government. And then on the other side, you know, you might believe that the government is more uh, to get involved, to balance, you know, poverty and riches. That's not an ethical question. That's do you believe the government should do yeah. that? Yeah. Um, so I maybe fall, I've voted leaning towards the left a little bit more because of what I believe is the function of government, but there are many moral issues on the left that I don't agree with as a Christian. Um, but there are ways that I, ha I feel like I have to split my values right, no matter right. what I do. Well, and you get, you get lumped in if once you make a decision from one, one side, you, everything becomes one thing and, and we're not allowed the complexity of our human experience where first of all we we all in in a church for example um you may have a, a lot of different perspectives it, you know and may i bring up that just before yes. this interview you sent me a message of how anxious you were and and i hope you don't mind me sharing this because i share that i share this you know really to show how terrified we are to be vulnerable in this area, how scared we are mm -hmm. of the judgment and the bullying that this division has created, that mm -hmm. um, the vulnerability, right? And you were worried that somehow this interview was going to be about me trying to convince you something different. And you and I know each other. We've known each other for quite a while. We serve at the same mm -hmm. church. I think you know my heart. I know your heart, I, you know, to, to some level. It's not, it's not like I don't know you. <laughs> and you know me, um, and yet, yet you were you were anxious about this. You were worried about that. And my heart, when I read that, I thought that's the extent of pain. That's what I saw. I saw my heart broke for you that you would, you would be scared to share your journey with me, um, and that somehow I would participate in some of the pain that you have experienced through this through this journey that you've been on. And that right. somehow our church, which is pretty big, right? Mariners is like 25,000 people and now even more with the online platform. That somehow we think that um, in a, a mass of people that size, everyone would be in one, on one side of the issue. When right. in reality, just like our country is divided, probably that demographic is reflected even in that church. Right? Right. Well, when, when I published my book... Um, by Thomas Nelson Publishers, owned by HarperCollins. So it was a national platform. And through that, I signed with a speaking agent who is books 
speakers nationally. And he, when he hired me, he said, some of my clients are more progressive. Um, and I would love to have you on my roster. You, I can send you to evangelical churches throughout the country that I might not be able to send someone else on my roster. I won't say her name, <laughs> although I admire her greatly. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say, he, he represents Sarah Bessie, who's a Canadian Christian who I find um, her heart for Jesus is remarkable. Mm. We don't agree on every theologic point of theology, but I think she has a sincere heart for Jesus and to care for those who are suffering, which is the heart of Jesus. <laughs> um, but so he said, so here's what you have to do. Do not say a single political thing ever mm. on your social media don't go near anything political or it will change where I can send you, what churches will have you speak. And the thing that really hit me is he said, do not say a single thing about gun control. Hmm. And I'm like, that is terribly sad. Yeah. And I'm going to share my sorrow about this. My daughter is a high school student at Woodbridge in the same, one of the safest cities in America. And last week, she had to have a lockdown drill where they're training, and they started in elementary school, where they're training the kids what to do in the occasion that a person armed with an assault rifle has broken into their school. And because statistically, it just kept happening. We've almost forgotten in this election that right before COVID, we were having mass shootings on a regular basis in the United States. And so she was taught, this broke my heart, that if another student was in the hallway banging on the door to be allowed in, they were not allowed to let that student in the classroom. Wow. Oh, my goodness. They had to let that child be shot in order to save the rest of the children. Now, this is a reality that I am not. You're not okay I with. I call unacceptable in our country. Mm. It is unacceptable. Mm that my 16 year old is being made to be afraid on that level. And that if I say something about my belief that we need to more carefully distribute guns in this country, that it could mean a church will not want me there. Mm. To me, that is a tragedy mm. because that is a political belief and an American belief. It is not a biblical belief. Mm. So if you have a political belief about the, the importance of the Second Amendment, that should not affect whether or not I can speak to you about Christ. Does that make it sense? It does. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing that. I, I'm so grateful you pushed through. <laughs> you have pushed through. Uh, I know. Hey, listen, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. When, when you say... You're, you're, you feel like an exile. It isn't because you've made up something in your mind that isn't real. I, I yeah. love that you're sharing that because I can guarantee you people listening to this, no matter what side of the aisle they're in, will be saying, I feel that pain too. And there's something really beautiful when we, well, you're, you're involved in, the, in the, um, uh, the rehab programs and you know how powerful it is when we share our stories openly and honestly, and we feel like we're in community, even if our stories are very different, right? 
Right. And so thank you for pushing through. Thank you for sharing. I, I pray that um, really what we're hoping to model together is the willingness to wrestle with these mm -hmm. things and seek Jesus, seek what the Bible teaches us about it and find that we are actually quite unified when we go there. And the things I think it place in perspective, it's hard when we, when we don't understand where the other side comes from, right? So, um, you know, I love your heart to try to understand even those who have hurt you deeply. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and fortunately it's, you know, not a lot of um, really close relationships that have been painful, but more a sense of, you know, the larger, larger community. community. Yeah. I sponsor, you know, women in 12 step. And one of the part of the pain that I experienced, like I said, I'm not, I'm not at risk. I'm not, I'm sharing privately, you know, personally, my daughter and being at school. And I, I don't want any child to be afraid in school. It's not just about my daughter, but there are, there is also this sense for me as an evangelist at heart of how we represent Christ in the political arena what we've chosen to say is the most important things. And that is where I really understand it is very deeply held belief. If you are um, pro-life, um, you believe abortion, that life begins at conception and an abortion is, is against the law of God. It is very difficult as a Christian to vote for anyone who would support the right for abortion. Um, but there are other things that are very, I believe, are very important to Christ too. Yes. And that is truth and integrity, integrity and kindness and gentleness. And that if we vote for someone who has our policies, but we don't also, we aren't also willing to say, I voted for this policy, but this character issue distresses me as a follower of Christ. Like that would be my heart to be able to hear that from one another. Yeah. One of the essays that I wrote before I left was about how the first presidential election, I was old enough to vote and I voted for Bill Clinton in his second term. And I was, you know, 19, I think, and just thought he was so hopeful and charismatic. And, you know, I believed in social programs and all the, I liked the Fleetwood Mac song, you know, <laughs> like was... Um, and I should say, I grew up in a household where my mom was a Democrat and my dad was a Republican. And they canceled each other's votes out in presidential elections for like many, many years. And so we were raised with this. Um, even my parents could disagree. Yeah, that's good. Like, which was, which was good. My dad, yeah, which is good. My dad's kind of gone over to the other side. My husband and I are the same. Like, we will often vote one side for president and different senators because of the issues that are important to them. But I voted for Clinton, and then when the Monica Lewinsky scandal happened, I was in my early 20s, and I'm going to confess, I was like, all politicians do things like this. Mm. Like, this is just what men in leadership are like. Mm. It's very cynical, but like, he's getting impeached over this? Come on. Like, this is ridiculous. And his policies were more important to me than that act of lapse of character. Um, and I remember listening to Kenton preach and in the back when our sanctuary was the community center and Kenton spoke on how, when you are unethical in one area of your life or deceitful in one area of life, the way sin is, is that it poisons everything. Mm. 
and that that sexual lack of integrity would affect a leader in every other way. It would affect everything about him because that's what sin does. It causes us to hide and it causes us to be deceptive. And, and I watched James Dobson do this. Um, he wrote, I, I followed him forever. He wrote, Clinton was unfit president because of his character, not because of his policies. And then there's been a total shift where he said, we don't vote for personality, we vote for policies. And that's the conflict we're in right now is what's most important, right? And the right. Pen- and you'll find people in all sides of the spectrum when it comes to that. Um, right. So what I want to do as a follower of Christ, and I wrote an essay about this, I want to repent for the way I backed up my guy mm. in an unethical behavior mm. because I put his, what I wanted him to do politically, I excuse something that was unacceptable in a leader. Mm. Now that doesn't mean, I mean, all leaders are flawed and will make mistakes, but what would our discourse be like in the church or in the community, if we could say, I voted for that guy, but when he lied about that thing, that's not okay with me. I'm not going to excuse that, that that's okay. And my non-Christian friends are so confused by, um, our inability as Christians to do that sometimes for our, our pastors, ourselves, our political leaders, like, yeah, I voted for him and I want those things. But, it, but Amanda, politi- the challenge we have yeah. right now, which I think our whole conversation has highlighted is our right. dialogue is deeply broken. Right. So to be even to, to get to that level of conversation there's a lot, we got a long way to go to start with a posture. Long way to go. Right? We, we, <laughs> we, have, a, we have to begin, first of all, as you are doing right now, and which I, I thank you again, simply by sharing, look how much this is hurting Christ's mm-hmm. followers, Jesus-loving Christians on all sides. Like acknowledging the, the wreckage of what this is creating and then being listeners right to of each other mm-hmm. and hopefully one day we can get to that place where we can have those honest right. conversations about our right. our sides but man it's not safe right now it's what you're this mm-hmm. is why we're having this conversation it hasn't felt safe to have that it hasn't been safe for you you've been hurt and you're afraid mm-hmm. of being hurt even more so i want to i want right. to close this time by by just simply mm-hmm saying we're at the beginning of this journey uh, mm-hmm. and hopefully these honest just here's where this is this is where we are Sh- should we be crying out um for each other in the pain that this is causing really all of us which i think i yes. think anyone listening to this no matter where they're in on the journey can go mm-hmm. yeah this is painful this is painful. And we're not even saying that. We're not even saying that. Right. <laughs> right. So. And I, won't, and I don't, I just want to be really clear. I'm not saying one side is doing anything worse than the other. No, no. I, I, you are clear. You're, you're sharing clear. how it okay. is affecting you. But I think we both agree right. that this is happening on both sides. And so. That we're, yeah, if you have one opinion, then you must have all of these other right. ones. And therefore I can't, I can't listen to you i can't hear an apology i can't be vulnerable with right. you i can't feel safe right. um and that is 
got to be breaking Jesus's heart. Yes, that's tragic. Yes. And, you know, to have political division, uh, it, it's obviously not a good thing. And, and, and having, well, maybe sometimes it could be a good thing, right? Because you polish each other. But when you have this yeah. unity of the spirit, that does grieve mm-hmm. Jesus's heart. Because as he, as he said in his beautiful prayer in the Gospel of John, he prayed for unity for us. Uh, unity as he has unity and when we're not living that out that does break his heart and so i want to close this with prayer for praying for you may i pray for you okay please father we just want to um, just thank you for amanda's heart and willingness to be um share her story with us i pray that you would uh, protect her heart now as after she's finished with this i'm sure she'll have sometimes maybe um just concerns as, as she started. And so, Lord, I would pray that you would uh, comfort her, heal her, God, um, continue to give her um, many more opportunities to share her story and that it would minister to many others who also are hurting and are afraid uh, to share uh, of their, their journey and their pain. So we thank you, God, that you seek to unite us. And so that is what we seek. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, I hope you really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, My heart is so full just as I think about my time with Amanda. And as you can see, she shared so vulnerably from her heart. Um, I mean, there was really nothing, no filter. This is just her sharing her experience. And I'm really grateful for her courage and her vulnerability. I hope you, you enjoy that as well. Andy, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's important to consider two big things that, you know, she pointed out, probably three things to point out. But one, she has like, she obviously has a very compassionate heart to dialogue and, and seek, you know, some kind yeah. of reconciliating factor, you know, over over the issue. Um, yes. Obviously, in the platforms in which she was hoping to engage in those spaces proved that, you know, social media are not designated platforms to produce, you know, that healthy kind of communication and relational development over over any opposing or dissenting issues whether it's faith or politics or anything i mean i think we've we've learned that you know there's big lesson we've learned yeah you know and it's not to say that there aren't places where those conversations can be held well however i think from our plat from our profiles and platforms looking outward they're they're just not safe spaces for these kinds of conversations that take place Um, And so, you know, I think, you know, that realization obviously took effect, you know, the the longer that she spent time, you know, looking for dialogues in those spaces. Um, And then lastly, that, um, you know, she's not alone, you know, in this. Um, My own journey related to kind of the tension with faith and politics, you know, began five years ago, honestly, before, you know, the the 2016 election. You know, that's where Mm -hmm. that's really where a lot of my conversations kind of began. And a lot of my own tensions kind of began in that same space. And so um, the last four years, I think, became layered on for others who kind of were like, oh, it, it can't be that. And then now that they've sat yeah. in it for four years, and I think she became, you know, she's one of those folks who then now after some time being in that space came to realize um, her own, you know, kind of uh, wrestle and tension with that same scenario. So, um, you know, Amanda, I hear you. <laughs> yes. I've, I've experienced... Um, uh, much critique for my own opinions out in that space. And uh, mm. this is, yeah, this is, this is a tough subject. Yes, it is. I, I think one of the 
things that we experienced over the last five years, whatever it might be, it's, is the volume got turned up. So I, I think it just was so loud and from every direction, uh, the, the, the divisive nature of what we were living in just became so loud. Yeah. So, and, and people's tender hearts get caught, caught up in it. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciated that, that Amanda tried that she she worked hard at trying to stay in the conversation until it became unhealthy for her. And I think it's an important thing for us to know, to, to learn that it, definitely we should try. But if it starts to do harm to ourselves, we need to, we need to pull back. And I thought there was wisdom in her. You know, she worked hard at trying to pull back. And I think that's wise. In our own family, we, we have five children. All of them are married and nine grandchildren. And we experienced these various uh, points of view. And, and some of our kids, very strong voices. And uh, in, in some of the more quiet voices were like, wait a minute, we have opinions too. And so we, you know, we saw it even in our own family. I, I'm sure lots of people had that happen. Our, our, our Thanksgiving and dinner and Christmas dinners last year were definitely different. And we're kind of on the other side where the volume has been turned down. But that mm. doesn't mean that the issues are gone, mm-hmm. right? It's more, I think we're a little exhausted. We're happy to start 2021 with hopefully a new mindset. But that doesn't mean this is not gone. This is gone. So I think it's worth continuing some level of conversation now so that we can learn some things and be prepared. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and, and, you know, for what it's worth, like my experience and dialogue around a lot of this thing, you know, at least where, where I've arrived as far as, how I try to approach the, you know, these uh, conversations is I've tried to like do a little bit more time immersing myself in the conversation or, you know, just, you know, scripture around like theocracy of power and theocracy, or I'm sorry, theocracy of strength versus a theocracy of weakness, you know, mm-hmm. understanding what the Bible's teaching us about power dynamics. Right. And because mm-hmm. it's like, that's where I think we really see what's happening with Jesus's ministry and understanding his relationship to the power of Rome simultaneously. You know, it's like the way he's speaking to, you know, who inherits the kingdom and who does not like largely a lot of that type of thing is, is surrounded around how power is given and how power is held. And so mm-hmm. it's, I mean, even, even, um, Palm Sunday is a reflection of power. You know, it's yeah, just like yeah. the very, his very entrance into um, Jerusalem. On the other part of the world in Rome, Caesar was having his own, um, you know, yes, entry, entry into right? Rome during that thing. And mm-hmm. so this is, it's actually a, juxta- a juxtaposition about showing where, uh, you know, rain is actually ha- is actually happening. I and mean, so the very him right. coming in in his humility. On a donkey On a donkey the with the laying down of palms. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was actually... Yeah. Yeah that is a power move. And so mm. it's like, that's where it's like, what he's saying, it has to do with power and how power is is governed and how power is expressed and, and released, you know, to people. And so uh, through the gospel. And so that's where mm. the second you throw in a lot of these other things, it gets real messy and it gets real, yeah. especially on like on our level of how we do that, it gets real messy. So I've been able to kind of back out over the past like six years and, and spend a little more time in, in immersing in that because um, we will find ourselves in conflict no matter which side of, of the American Isle we pick because there's, yes. there's issues on, on both sides we have to wrestle with that don't reflect the gospel simultaneously in either way. Right, right. You know, so it's like, I, that's why I, I completely empathize with her tension and frustration and, and struggles yes. and, and with some of my other, you know, friends on that have other views on those same things. And so, yeah, this is, this is a tough topic and I, um, yeah. uh, more than anything, I, I hear you, Amanda. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And obviously it goes to show 
how often our journey of faith gets affected by our life circumstances. Again, we, you know, the whole point of this podcast is to show that we experience on our journey of faith these moments and times of crises, or even, even if it's short term, even if we don't like that term, that the sense of something happening to our faith that gets, gets perhaps jarred out of place or we have to re-examine and look at it. And, you know, politics is one of them too. So uh, this year, I think a lot of people were, what does it mean to be Christian, right? Oh, Andy, you and I have to do a podcast about that. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned, peeps. Yeah, that that she, I think the the overarching thing of like her, her struggle is just like, how how can I call myself a Christian yes. if these other folks also call themselves a Christian? And it's like, yes. okay, like that's let's hold that out for a second yes. and let's let's go back to that. And so, yeah, you and I will will have to do a, a bit of a chat about uh, you know, yes. yeah, what 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 does that really look like? What does that mean amidst all of these things that are happening this day and age? That's a really good topic. All right, friends, stay tuned for more. Thanks again for joining us, guys. We'll see you at the next one. Thank you for listening to Uncharted Podcast with Inez Franklin. Learn more about Inez at unchartedpod.com. Follow Inez's journey on Instagram at Inez Franklin. Sign up for our email list to receive direct access to online experiences and more. Thanks for listening and join us again next time. Mm